0: What's up, folks? I'm about to head out to Waikiki, and I meet a lot of you guys here later this week for the annual Retreat, if you're listening to this. And it's past the 15th or 16th. Hopefully, we'll see you guys next year, or maybe we might do some little mini pop-up retreats. But really, there's nothing as cool as the retreat, because it's a magical experience once people come to Hawaii and see each other for two to three days. Because after all, it's the network is your net worth. And it's really hard to get to know people within that normal construct of two to three hours. And it really requires several days. But here is the weekly report uh, where I get a bunch of articles. We try to keep it less than five. And I've also got a lesson learned. A lot of you guys have been asking about the interest rates and all that type of stuff. I've got a little bit thing at the end discussing that you guys want to check this out on the YouTube channel, Uh, we have all the slides and you guys can read through the articles as opposed to just my little summary for you guys. But I think you guys like the little commentary, so I'll keep doing it. And give me any feedback on these types of videos and uh, first article coming from USA Today, which is a mainstream article, which maybe you don't want to use it. But anyway, it's one, it's one of those general audience type of articles. And basically what's happening, the IRS deli- delays the $600 1099k tax reporting for venmo paypal cash apps and all the plethora of different app payment systems which you know, I don't do this. I don't think a lot of you guys do this, but apparently a lot of people have been using this to pay each other under the table to avoid taxes and they thought they were really smart about it. But the IRS is slowly but surely cracking down on this and I don't think we'll turn into China where people have to submit their receipts to get some ridiculous lottery to incentivize people to document income. They said they were going to people who earned at least six hundred dollars from these online platforms like eBay too, you can throw that in there. We're gonna have to report, but right before Christmas, they announced they would delay the rule. It's just a matter of when they, they will do this. So it doesn't mean that people who earn at least six hundred dollars from e-commerce platform platforms can't avoid paying the taxes that they're supposed to. But it's just that the these platforms won't report it to the irs apparently and i just, i would watch this closely if you're doing this plethora of uh crypto sites because it's just a matter of time before the irs cracks down on all that stuff and my conspiracy theory is that's a reason why they wanted to blow up this whole ftx thing and bigger and there's a big kind of scandal and who knows what's really happening but the undertone is the irs wants to tap the income off of all these crypto stuff just like they did marijuana. I don't do crypto, so I'm all for it. I don't do weed, so I'm all for taxing the heck out of that stuff because it's less that as a regular taxpayer, I have to pay. Venmo says that the IRS requires it along with all payment processors in the United States. Everybody knows who each other is. There's a digital footprint. You can't hide anywhere, basically. Next article, CNBC says payrolls and wages blow past expectations flying in the face of Fed rate hikes. As you guys know, everybody's can doom and gloom right out there. I think maybe there's more to come. Because one good thing is like the job market, it's still great. And payrolls and wages are still doing pretty well based on this article. Job growth was much better than expected in November, despite the Fed reserves aggressive efforts to slow the labor market and tackle inflation. Uh, that's what i'm kind of saying be careful what you read and this is why we go to these articles of course it's not always the best to do cnbc and yahoo which is where this next article is from but be careful what you out there because a lot of things are just fear mongering or fear porn out there to scare the crap out of you guys and attract attention and when you attract attention you get clickbait and you get ad revenue you can sell a bunch of shirts and stuff like that apparently i don't do that We typically give away shirts to you guys, especially when you guys invest with us. But apparently that's how a lot of people monetize their platforms for day trading attention because everybody's a Brandon out there and everybody's got a brand apparently and everybody's selling something and trying to monetize. But in this article from Yahoo News, again, why ordinary investors got so hit in 2022 and the biggest challenge was for the average saver came in two forms in one place, the bond market. The bond market hasn't been this bad in two generations. I've been hearing a lot of sophisticated investors talk in the last year or even two years ago, the bond market has flipped and it's really upside down at this point. The bond market isn't really what you think about when you think of security. So where is there to hide? That's why I put my money in real hard assets and I throw it into my own pet fund where we go after pref equity, which is more on the debt side of the equation playing in the role of the bank. And today, the two-year yield is about half a percent above the 10-year signaling trouble for the economy in 2023. And a lot of people have been whining about this inverted yield curve. It's been happening since about a couple years, a year now. That's why I say, if you really are into that, get your money out of the stocks and the 401k stuff and put it, take it out and put it into real hard assets. That's what I do. You take a look at something like the 6040 Vanguard portfolio, which is supposedly a long term analyzed return of roughly 7%. And they definitely aren't hating that. The 6040 portfolio is overstated in this article as ever time the market outweighs efforts to time the market. You can't time the market, right? Like I've talked, there's a minority of investors who will pull out, and then ultimately most of them will get screwed because the run, it'll recover. But Here's what I'm saying, guys. And I was there back in 2007, 2008, when I was trying to play the stock market. The the thing with the stock market, like, it's based on two things. Number one, the company performance, which you don't really know. Maybe you do, but you certainly don't know the second one, which is the expectations of the market based on the company performance. And those are two things that you need to get right to pick the right way. What I say is just get the heck out of that stuff and invest in real hard assets that there is utility in. And the reason why I say that these days is because crypto ain't one of them. You could make an argument that crypto is a currency and it's a hard asset. Okay, whatever. But it doesn't provide any utility like hard real estate that you know that the masses live in, especially when it's the workforce housing sector. Yeah, apparently this portfolio is supposed to be long-term, but it dropped 16% last year. And what I'm going to say is maybe it drops another 20, 30%. Who knows? If you guys want to, you know, get up to speed with investing in hard assets and get a lot of the free e-courses that we have that go beyond the podcast and YouTube channel, make sure you guys join the club by going to simplepassacashflow.com slash club, fill out that quick form. And we'll, maybe we'll jump on a call together and I'll go through your own situation in in a quick 15 minute call. And that's my service. I think to society is I, I don't do it for people a second time you get one shot at it. But if we haven't connected, we'll go ahead and sign up for that form and let's get on the Zoom call. This article coming from Multi Housing News says how multifamily construction trended in 2022. So the reason why I look at this personally is not only are we developers, when development comes online they build new Class A stuff, which eventually compete with the Class B stuff that we have. It'll take a decade or two or maybe even probably three decades actually but it's something that we always look within our CoStar report, what's coming online, right? And this is another reason why I don't like self-storage, right? When something comes online in the self-storage, it's always class A. And typically operators, they will go into class A self-storage units, right? The air-conditioned one, the one where people can go at night because it's safe. Nobody really operates class B and C self-storage unless you're an extremely small mom and paul investor out there. Certainly you don't syndicate that stuff because that's not scalable you do class a and that's where self-storage operators have a hard time that they're directly competing with all this new inventory and you combine that with the fact that self-storage is easily constructed permitting and just it's a lot easier to construct the dang thing right just empty boxes where apartments it's a little bit more permitting and certainly more of a construction scope than the little box the storage locker box that's another reason why i've i'm not really into investing in self-storage. I've done a little boat storage. Luckily, I cashed out of that before November, which is when the insurance rates really went up. This one is in particular, it was in Florida, which kind of want to get out. We actually exited all our Mississippi properties because the insurance is just ridiculous at this point because they've just had their rash of hurricanes. And that's just how the insurance works. It surges in three to seven year increments if you look at this uh, construction trends you look at the chart for those of you guys listening on the podcast the top ones are austin dallas miami atlanta phoenix houston denver charlotte orlando and those are the top 10 and you can look at this a couple of ways right like you know new inventories coming online so you could say more supplies coming online but I, I would personally look at this, especially because this is hierarching metro data, right? It's not submarket market or even block by block, which I think which you got to look at, especially more as an operator, right? Not really as a passive investor scope. But if you're a passive investor or even myself just looking at it from a high level, the way I'm looking at it is like typically the more sophisticated operators, institutional operators, they have a lot of data. They're not dummies. They're going into places with strong macro drivers. And again, like the places like Austin, Dallas, Miami, Atlanta, Phoenix, Houston, Denver, Charlotte, Orlando, the top 10 there. Just follow the big guys. Essentially, <laughs> is There's another chart from that same article. It breaks it down by region and then it breaks it down by quarter. Yeah, certainly I, I think if you're one to geek out on data, it's interesting. Again, this is all high level and especially when you're investing in workforce housing, this stuff isn't really going to fall to competing with you until several decades later some other markets here that you may be interested just because you a lot of you guys live in like arizona california washington boston new york san diego folks next article arbor where is the multifamily market the federal reserve took action with four consecutive rate heights of 0. 0.75 which is unprecedented and we'll talk about that at the end and the last rate hike was a little bit smaller at a half a percent increase as opposed to the 0. 0.75. Everybody thinks that there's further rate hikes expected in 2023. The Fed has already communicated indirectly that they're at the tail end possibly for the U.S. multifamily market. 2020 will go down as one of the strongest on record. Rent growth skyrocketed 17.7% year over year in the second quarter of 2022. Remain high finishing the year, although at a most modest pace. The vacancy rate further improved to 4.4 by the end of the third quarter. So I think this is, a take everything with the grain of salt that you're hearing, look at the data. The multifamily has been showing signs of a pullback, but since this is the case with cyclical nature of our business, investors who are in a good position going into the correction will be able to take advantage of opportunities. And this is why I always say like, why well, I personally, dollar cost average in a way, the time when you're the most most vulnerable is getting out that restabilization and an asset, right? And you can't really time the market. You certainly can't do it with the stock market. And and I take the same approach here, which is why I go into deals. And most of the deals, like 80 to 90%, we've been in for gotten out that restabilization period, and it's smooth sailing, and there's really no worries about it. And the only ones that are, we've got a work problem, work the issues, which is Part of why you guys work with us, right? We're the professionals taking care of that for you guys or the ones that were closed within the last six months or year in that that kind of more vulnerable restabilization period. We'll get through it. Problems happen. And that's what, that's. if somebody said they haven't had problems, that they probably don't own $1, million, $1 billion of assets or they're lying. Commercial property executive, here's some quick trends, 10 commercial trends that they're, they kind of, Show Embracing Green, the tax credits and incentives, the low income housing tax credits are coming back. Uh, we don't play around with that type of stuff. I don't really like the Section 8 in our type of stuff. I don't want to go more than 10% Section 8 or any, in fact. 10 15-minute cities has taken off, but a few of these other ones for you guys to read later if you want to check it out on the YouTube channel. Um, and then here's my lesson learned for the week. Or in this case, a lot of questions that you have come up and here's some lessons learned that I've had. And the question that kind of came up is, hey, rates are rising quick enough to account for in- increase in interest rates. And yes, the interest rates have been unprecedented, right? It's pretty much gone up almost double. And at some some point, it breaks the model. And at that point, this has been like the quickest increase in rates since ever if you look at like these charts where they graph the increases over time hasn't in up as high as other times like in the 80s but certainly quicker acceleration and of course they're raising interest rates because of inflation to control that but here i think there's the misperception that i think a lot of people worry about they think that the end game is based on cumulative performance and i get it a lot of you guys went to college like myself And like a point system where you get a bunch of points through the year based on your percentage and then they grade you on a curve in a semester long course or you've got to hit your KPIs in your job. If you're a sales guy, right, you have to hit your sales targets or whatever. We all have scorecards and KPIs in our life. It's cumulative. But that's not how this multifamily stuff investing works. You know, what it's more is like a sports team getting ready for like the playoffs. I guess we're getting into the NFL. I don't watch too much sports these days. I like it, but I try not to watch too much of it. But in for an NFL team, they got to peak for the playoff run. So it's really how they're heading into the end. And just like multifamily, it's really what the NOI is at sale. I've had some deals where things have gone wrong and we've tried to work it. And it's just like we were down a lot of points. Basically, for most of the game, but it really is more not what the score is in a way, but it's where the NOI is, right? So we can come back at the end and more than beat performa at the end, and yeah, you may not have cash flow for a quarter here or quarter there, and but like the thing is, it's more like what is it at the end that you sell it for, and that's our end goal. Cash flow is the third type of thing that we're eyeing. And the biggest thing is the safety of the investment. We want to not lose the investment, right? That's security number one is the biggest thing. The second thing is getting the business plan done and the NOI bumped up over time. Third is cash flow. So safety, business plan, and then cash flow along the way. Now, most some investors, especially the newer ones, the less sophisticated ones, worry about cash flow. And I get it. That's part of the deal but y'all should be having jobs or other investments to diversify it out. You shouldn't be living off the 3 to 6% that a deal was performed off of. And that's just another lesson learned, I think, from higher net worth investors. They don't look at things on a quarterly or even annual basis. They look at it on a longer track run, maybe a five to 10-year time horizon. Another example of this, for some of you guys eyeing retirement out there, right? If you guys are still like, Thinking about the pensions. And a lot of that is based off your highest three years of pay. Similar analogy to what I'm saying here. It's based on what that you can hit that NOI for. And in our case, a lot of times in a hot market, if we can keep that NOI a certain level for just three months, most times six months or a little longer, we can get that we can capture that that high sell price off of that. Just to close the year and last year, evictions was a frustrating part of last year as a lot of those eviction moratoriums ran through. I think we're starting to see the tail end of that and focusing on getting the best tenants really. And I think that's just going to position a lot of the assets going forward to when the interest rates do fall and real investors are starting to come in. That's just going to position the price for higher. Right now, you could probably say that it's a good time to buy because demand is lower. But really, the only people out running around in the streets in this kind of proverbial storm are the newbies who are desperate for getting their first, second, first quarter million, first even half a billion dollars of assets under ownership. We were there at that time today with 1.2, maybe 1.3, I haven't counted it up, 1.3 billion plus of assets, 8,500 units. We're just not really, I don't want to go outside and play in the rain, put it that way. Is it and then the last kind of question here was like, is it just better to buy and hold? And this question came from a non accredited investor or semi accredited investor who still has their rental properties or maybe looking to buy own rental properties. And man, it's just, I haven't, I didn't realize it because like, I forget about what non accredited investors do these days, buying little rental properties. But man, yeah, a lot of those guys are looking at like interest rates in the seven, eight percent. And I'm like, there's absolutely no cash flow. And, Yes, if you're not doing value add, I would really think twice about going into that negative cash flow property. And on the one hand, it's a real estate, right? Like it'll probably go up in the long term. And if you can float a little bit of cash flow bleed on your little rental property, then fine. But by the way, it, it just makes things harder. And I think it just puts more emphasis on doing the value add, right? Putting in real work and value into the property as opposed to just relying on market appreciation, Which typically comes, and that's why we we invest, or we could when you're doing that buy hope and pray model, you're really gambling, but you're gambling on a good bet in a way, gambling on the fact that population's going up and that workforce housing sector, the lower middle class population demand is increasing. With a commodity such as real estate that provides utility, pretty damn good bet, I would say. I would say if you really want to make better returns or hedge yourself, get some value add, and I think that's what we provide in the larger syndication deals. It's always part of the business scope. If you guys like, check out the uh, the podcast. Subscribe there, iTunes, Google Play, and then also subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're gonna try and make a real push this first quarter to get above a thousand subscribers. We really, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. But we're going to start to come up with a lot more questions, which if you guys have any specific questions, please email it in to the team at simplepassivecashflow.com. I'm right in the middle of kind of writing that second book. The first book is selling about like a 100 copies a week or something like that. Maybe like 20 a day. I'm seeing it. Um, If you guys can do me a favor, buy the book for a dollar and leave a review. That's really helpful. I think we've got over 110 ratings thus far, but I guess that's what drives the algorithm. But uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bye.